Well, after having paused for the past five weeks for our summer preaching series, uh, we now return to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, let us open our Bibles to Luke chapter 8 this morning and read our text from God's Word, verses 1 through 21. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are imparable, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they heard the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Take Care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They, they want to see you. 
But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I wonder this morning how many of you wives have perhaps on more than one occasion sent your husbands to the store only to have them call you after arriving with this question. Now, what was I supposed to get? I mean, you, you told him, and you spelled it out very clearly, but somehow, between leaving the house and arriving to the Publix, he has totally lost sight of what he was supposed to get. Or how many of you parents have asked your children to hang up their laundry, to put away their toys, to only walk past their bedroom a couple of hours and notice that everything is untouched? I cannot begin to tell you the number of times that at least in my home we have said to one another, whether it's my wife to me, me to her, the kids to me, me to the kids, we, we've said it often to one another on many occasions. You're not listening. Or at the very least, you're not listening carefully. Now, how we hear... Or listen to God's word is what Luke 8, 1 through 21 is all about. We see it woven together within the tapestry of this text. Verse number 8 says, look at it there in your Bibles. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear. All right? Let's just stop for a moment. If you have ears, I want you to raise your hand for just a moment. All right? You have ears? All right. If you're not raising your hand, we need to do an anatomy lesson. All right? You have ears. So he's talking to everybody. He who has ears, let him what? Hear. Then in verse number 18, he says to them, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. So it's not just enough that if you have ears, you need to hear. He says there's actually a way that you need to hear. Pay attention. Work hard at how you listen, how you hear. And then he closes this particular section out in verse 21. We read it just a moment ago. He says emphatically, hey, my family, my true family, my mother and my brothers are those who what? Hear. So I got a question for you this morning. How's your hearing? Let me, let me say it like this. How's your hearing? How's your hearing? Now, here's why this is so important. Because Jesus makes it clear in this text of Scripture that how we hear his word reveals what will happen to us on judgment day. How we hear his word reveals what will happen to us on judgment day. Now, that's very significant, and it should get every one of our attentions, 
Because the principle here has eternal implications. It's not just about today. No, how you hear today reveals what will happen to you on the last day, on the final day, on what the Bible calls judgment day. So no wonder Jesus says in verse 18, take care how you hear. Take care how you hear, for how you hear determines what judgment day is going to look like for you and me. The chapter begins by setting the scene for us. It's a scene of ongoing ministry in Jesus' life. He is moving here, verse 1, from city to city and village to village, preaching the gospel. The verse says he is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That is, he is preaching the gospel. City to city, village to village, wherever he goes, he is preaching the good news of the kingdom. He is sharing the message of the gospel. It is a template that we, his people, are to follow. Wherever we are, whatever it is that we do, we are to live our lives sharing the gospel from place to place. From home to work, from work to the gym, from gym to church, from church to wherever. We are to proclaim the gospel, preach the good news of the kingdom, share the message of Christ wherever we go. But exactly what is the gospel? If Jesus' entire ministry was about the gospel and your entire life and my entire life is about the gospel, we better understand what the gospel is. The gospel is this. It is the good news that Jesus Christ came from heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross in my place to pardon sin once and for all in my life. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he arose from the dead to fulfill the work of salvation for us. So that anyone, anyone who trusts in Christ alone may receive grace, new life, and reconciliation with God forever. That's the gospel. This is the message that Jesus is preaching. And it's the message that everyone needs to hear. Your children need to hear this. Your grandchildren, your parents, your neighbors, your co-workers. Everyone needs to hear this message. Do you know the gospel? The gospel is not being a good person. The gospel is not necessarily joining a church. The, The gospel is not meeting the needs of the poor. All of those things, by the way, are extremely important. No, the gospel is I am a sinner who deserves death and hell because of my sin. But thanks be to God, he provided another way, his son Jesus, to take my place. And through his resurrection, as he lives, I can live if I believe If I trust, if I follow, do you know the gospel? Do you know it? Have you believed the gospel? It's something that you have to personally believe and trust and receive into your life. And are you teaching the gospel? 
of all the things that we can instruct our children, nothing is more important than the gospel. Of all the things that we can help someone else learn and achieve in this life, nothing is more important than the gospel. So it's not enough that we know it and believe it. We are to give our lives as Jesus is doing here with his disciples, with these women, teaching the gospel to anyone and everyone from place to place. You see, these opening verses show us the impact that the gospel was making. Not only do we have the 12 here, but we also have a group of women who had also been changed by the message of Jesus. Now, he says in the text, there were a whole lot of women that accompanied the disciples with Jesus. But he mentions three. He mentions Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. They're they're now accompanying Jesus. They're assisting the 12. They're doing some things to provide for their ministry. In fact, verse 1 says that both the men and the women were with him. They were with him. That's the essence of true discipleship. The essence of true discipleship is being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. This is a wonderful start. As we gather together as a church body to meet with Jesus, to hear from his word, to worship him and to sing of his praises and to serve one another in his name. The Lord is with us this morning. We are with Jesus. But this is just a small part of it. It's being with Jesus when I leave here. It's being with Jesus when I go to bed tonight. It's being with Jesus when I wake up. It's being with Jesus when I make the journey to work. It's being with Jesus when my boss is ticking me off. It's being with Jesus every day, throughout the day, learning from him, walking with him, talking with him, growing in him. That's what these men and women were doing. They were simply with Jesus, you say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know everything there is to know about Christianity. I, I've just become a Christian. I've just joined the church. I'm trying to figure this all out. What, what, what do I need to do? What's my next step? Well, listen, it's really simple. Just be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Just pray and read your word and come to the corporate gatherings and talk to him and, and, and think about him and listen to him. Just, just be with Jesus. That's what they were doing. They were with Jesus as he was going from place to place proclaiming the gospel. And it's here, it's here, transitioning from verse 3 to verse 4, that Luke takes us from Jesus proclaiming the gospel to now how people hear the gospel. So he moves from proclaiming the gospel to how people hear the gospel. And that's the emphasis that I want us to look at. Here's the first, if you enjoy writing down notes and and jotting down some things, you'll find these on the screen. Here's the first thing I want you to see in our text, and it's simply the parable, all right? The parable, the parable, verses 4 through 15. So what we discover in verse 4 is that uh, large crowds are now gathering to hear Jesus. They're coming from all over the place to hear him speak. And Jesus chooses to speak to them in what is called a parable, a parable. It's intentional. He even explains to his disciples here in just a moment that the reason that he uses parables is to help those who believe to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God and those who reject him so that they are confused by his word and his message. 
Same truth exists even today when it comes to the things of God. When we believe the truth and receive the truth, God opens up knowledge of him and his words. But when we reject it and resist it, we are going to continue living our, living our lives confused by the things that are contained within it. Jesus is being very intentional here. He's using parables. Now, what are parables? The parables are analogies in the form of short and simple stories. The parables that Jesus told were earthly analogies from everyday life that illustrated eternal and spiritual truths. We used to call them growing up in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Now, the particular parable before us is called the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. And the general meaning of the parable is this, that hearing the word is a matter of the heart. Hearing the word of God, hearing the message of the gospel is a matter of the heart. Again, verse 18, take care how you hear, how you hear. How you hear, not just that you hear, but how you hear. Because how we hear is determined by the condition of our heart. Does it really make a difference whether or not you have hearing aids or not? Or whether one ear is a little bit more in tune than the other ear? I don't know if it's crossing over 40, but things are breaking down fast in this old body. I find myself saying, huh, a lot. Huh? Now, that could be because I have four kids, and they only know one volume in our house. And my Apple Watch is constantly, the noise is too loud. The noise is too loud. Yeah, I got four kids. That's why the noise is too loud. It's, it's not just about these things on the side of our heads. It's about our hearts. And here's... What he says in the parable, verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed. In the immediate context, Jesus is the sower and his word is the seed. He is sowing the seed of the gospel, the message of his word. Everywhere he goes, he is throwing the seed of the gospel. But it also speaks beyond Jesus to the fact that the ongoing ministry of his word and his gospel and, and, and how it works today. Oftentimes, we are sowing the seeds of the gospel. And this analogy is very helpful because it helps us to understand why it is that some receive his word and some do not as we preach it to others. This should give you insight as to why maybe that person in your family or that friend that for so long you've been inviting them, sharing the gospel, inviting them to trust Christ, but it seems like they won't make that step. Listen, the issue is not the seed. And of course, in this context, the issue is not the sower, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in today's context, the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's something else that's important. And that's the soil, the soil. So we understand that it is our responsibility as exemplified here by the Lord Jesus that we are to spread the gospel to everyone. I'm not to be a soil inspector necessarily. 
Well, I'm not going to tell them about the gospel or share the word of God to them because here's what I think their soil is like. No, no, no. You and I don't have that gift. There's only one who knows what type of soil exists in my heart. And that is the Lord. So what is my responsibility? Not to be a soil inspector, but to be a seed thrower. (laughs) I'm casting out the seed of the word. I'm throwing out the gospel. And it is the soil of the heart that determines why a person may or may not truly believe the gospel. Why they may not receive the seed. This is the exact situation that's going on right here this morning in this room. Since this service began, and I prayerfully hope from our volunteers before we ever even began the service that the seeds of the gospel have just been going on. They've been going on. If you're visiting our church for the first time, I'm so glad you're here. You may come here this morning and think, you know what, they, they, they do a little things differently than the church I went to last week. I mean, they read a lot from that book. You know, it's a sad reality that you could walk into a place this morning that identifies itself as a church and they'll never open up this book. We understand that the most important thing in life is the seed of God's word. We need to hear it. We need to worship it. We need to know it. So from the very beginning of our service, what are we doing? We are singing the word, and we are reading the word, and we are praying the word. And now with God's help, we are preaching the word. And our interactions are interactions of obedience to the word. What is that? We're just we're throwing seed. When we sing, we're throwing seed. When we pray, we're throwing seed. When we preach, we're throwing a whole lot of seed and a little bit of spit at the same time. But I don't know where that seed's landing. Because we have 300 different type of soils here this morning. And in the parable, Jesus shares with us four types of soil that the seed of his gospel and word lands on. Four types of soil that are represented here by the 300 who've gathered to worship. And of these four types of soil, only one of those soils is actually good soil. That is only one type of soil mentioned in this parable, is emblematic of true faith. Everything else is empty, fraudulent. No root, no fruit, no growth, no life. It is dead. Well, let's look at these soils, these hearts. The first one is the hardened or apathetic heart. The hardened or apathetic heart. Verse 5 Here's the parable. Some fell among the path. That would be the the path that is walked on. We would look at it as a sidewalk today. Uh, Not so much paved roads in these days, but a path that is walked upon, highly trafficked. And so some fell among that path, and it was trampled on underfoot. The reason why it was trampled on is because that's where people walked. It wasn't a place for growth. It was a place where people walked. And then he says here, the birds of the air came and devoured it. Okay, he tells us what he means by that in verse 12. Look at verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Okay, the seed's been thrown out to them. They've heard. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. 
so that they may not believe. And in not believing, they are not saved. Now, one thing should jump out to you right here at the very beginning, and that is the truth that even in this moment, we are all engaged in spiritual warfare. Every time the seed goes out, there is a dark force in Satan and his influences that are going to do everything they can to take away that seed. Spiritual warfare exists in their rooms. There's a lot of distractions. Kids can be a distraction. Adults can be a distraction. Coffee can be a distraction. Telephones can be a distraction. Watches can be a distraction. Your grocery list can be a distraction. What I'm going to do tonight is going to be a distraction. We think very little about those things in terms of spiritual warfare. But do you know that someone else other than the Lord Jesus Christ has showed up here today? And his job as an enforcer in Satan's army is to cause you not to hear what God wants you to hear. And as a result... Satan, and what I believe is represented here as his demonic forces, Satan is not God. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He may be in another part of the world today, but he has his emissaries who are deployed to do his work in all places around the globe. And so what we see here is this analogy that Satan and his emissaries, they are absolutely interested in you not hearing the word. They are absolutely interested in you not understanding the gospel. So he's the bird, right? He's the bird in the parable that works hard to keep your heart apathetic toward God and hardened toward the truth of God's word. These people hear the word, but they're not stirred by it. They're not interested in it. God's word, maybe even this morning, is frankly irrelevant to their lives. It's a soil where the seed of God's word cannot germinate. It's hardened. It's apathetic. There's another soil. He talks about in verse 6, the shallow and emotional heart. The shallow and emotional heart. Okay, look look at the parable. Verse 6, some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Okay, so we understand, right? If you're spreading out seed going into the fall, if it gets on your driveway or in your road, it's not going to do any good. It needs to be put in the right place, and there needs to be some rain that's going to come along with it to help it mature and to grow. This is the analogy. Okay, verse 13, he explains it. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it first with joy, but they have no root. Why? Because it fell on a rocky heart. They have no root. They believe for a little while, and then in a time of testing, trouble, hardship, they fall away. They fall away. Now, to be extremely clear, although we are not soil inspectors, it is this type of soil that we see frequently. A person professes faith in Christ. They are initially excited about their decision. Maybe they don't understand all the nuances of God and his gospel, but they felt really good in the service and they they wanted something different to be a part of their life and so they gave it a try. They got excited. Maybe they cried. Maybe they laughed. Maybe they shouted. Maybe they rejoiced. But then the heat of hardship comes. Like the heat of the sun 
bearing down on seed that has no moisture. And when the heat of hardship comes, they, Jesus says, completely fall away. You don't see them anymore. They're not coming to the corporate worships. They're not reading their Bibles. In fact, they haven't even thought about the name of Jesus in a very long time. You see, this parable describes it as a seed without moisture, meaning emotions without doctrine. Superficial feelings without sincere faith. A profession without a possession. By the way, emotions aren't bad. They're just unreliable. I understand that more in my life than ever. When my life has gotten to a place where I hear my emotions more than I hear God, it is a very dangerous mindset in my life. And that is true when it comes to the message of his gospel. We should not rely upon how we feel or how we do not feel to determine our standing before God. It's what we know to be fact, what we know to be true, what the Bible says to us. Emotions aren't bad. It's just you shouldn't live your Christian life on emotions. That's why I'm thankful for this church environment. We don't hoop and holler every week. You know why? Because some weeks aren't worth hooping and hollering about. Every song we sing is not a glad song. Sometimes we sing songs that are very sad Because that is the truth about our life in this season. And we are recognizing the fact that emotions are not what my spiritual life is built on. My spiritual life is built on the word. But in the shallow heart, the one that's not very deep, the one that's not focused on doctrine, it's all about how they feel. They will eventually fall away. Proving that their decision was not real. And he gives a third soil, the crowded and unrepentant heart. The crowded and unrepentant heart. Verse 7, some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it. With it. Now, let me just tell you something. Before any one of us came to Christ, we all had thorns in our lives. Okay? So let's begin it here, okay? Okay? What we see in this analogy, in this parable, that seed was sown in places where thorns existed. The problem is the thorns weren't removed. And as the thorns grew up with the seed, it choked the seed out. Jesus explains it. Verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, these are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. The crowded heart speaks to the one who desires to have the best of two lives. In one essence, they they want the presence of Jesus but they're not quite ready to turn away from the pleasures of the world. So that soil this morning is trying to negotiate in their hearts if there's some type of spiritual life that can exist simultaneously 
at the same time that the rest of their life exists. What does Jesus call this? He calls this repentance. The decision to deny ourselves, turn from sin, pull up the thorns, and live for the seed of the gospel. This type of heart tries to usurp God's plan of salvation by ignoring repentance altogether. That is, they want him as a savior over their hell, but they do not want him as a Lord over their life. So they profess that they believe in Jesus. But their lives are so crowded, so crowded with unrepentant sin, and it's so in the form of cares, riches, pleasures. It's, it's in the form of hobbies and sports and vacations and drugs and adultery and sexual sin and drunkenness. But I, I don't want to give that up, but I sure would like to go to heaven I hope Jesus can rescue me out of hell, but if it's okay with him, I think I'm just going to keep going in the same sinful lust that I have really enjoyed. That type of soil cannot receive the fruit of the gospel because Jesus is not number one. That heart is a divided heart. It's a crowded heart. It's an uncommitted heart. It is an unsaved heart. But then he gives us the fourth soil, the fourth heart. It's the only one that's good. It's the receptive and obedient heart. The receptive and obedient heart. Verse 8, some fell into good soil. And that seed, it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. He explains it in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, these are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And they bear fruit with patience. So notice the distinct difference in the good soil from the other soils. Here's how, Jesus said, the good soil hears the word of God. Here's how they hear the word of God. They hold it fast. They hold it fast. That is, it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. Some of you are battling with that this morning. Whether your heart is crowded, whether it's apathetic, whether it's just shallow and emotional, one of the greatest struggles that you're having right now in this moment is that everything the gospel is being declared to you, it's just going in one ear and out the other. I'm just ready to be done so I can go to the Bojangles. But those whose soil is receptive, receptive, they hold on to it fast. They don't forget it. In fact, they act upon it. The word means something to them. The gospel means something to them. They hold on to what they've heard. They think about it. They they get in the car and they're just, they're thinking about it. Before they go to bed, they might reread that passage and they're thinking, man, what is God saying to me here? When they wake up on Monday, man, I can't get my mind off of that, that they're holding on to it. They're holding on to it. They're acting upon it. They're meditating upon it. But he says they also hear they hold on to it in an honest and good heart. In an honest and good heart. That that is receiving and believing God's word for the truth that it is, not for the way that we want it to be. There is no good. That's not the reference here. 
He's not saying that some hearts are, excuse my English, more gooder than others. No, there is no heart that's good in the sense of our own righteousness. But to let the fruit of the gospel, the seed of the gospel to take root in our lives, we've got to receive it for what it is. Honestly, sincerely, truthfully, and not what we want it to be. And then he says they bear fruit with patience or endurance. That is steady, simple obedience. Steady, simple obedience. They don't skip steps. They don't rush the process. But with patience, endurance, and perseverance, they are coming together week after week, learning, trusting, obeying. Learning, trusting, obeying. The parable is this. Hearing the word is a matter of the heart. Is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. What you hear today is a matter of your heart. What you act upon is a matter of the heart. Whether you receive it or reject it, that's the issue of the heart. Now, the other two, I need to just move on quickly with them. But notice the second thing. We've looked at the parable. Look at the principle of it all, the principle of the parable, okay? This is verses 16 through 18. Jesus now uses a smaller parable about a lamp to reinforce the principle of the first parable. And here's the principle. Here's the principle of everything that Jesus is saying. If he's telling us to take care how we hear, here's why he's telling us that. Because every one of us will be held accountable for how we hear the word. What does it matter what kind of soil my heart is? Because one day you will stand before God with how you've heard the word, how you hear the gospel. He says in verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. In our modern terminology, we don't go turn the lamp on in the bedroom and then throw a cover over it. We don't do that. No, 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 no. We, we let it shine so that it may give off the light. So what he's saying here again in this smaller analogy is that the lamp is God's word. And we are first responsible or held accountable for what we do with God's word. Are we going to foolishly hide it or are we going to let it shine in our lives? Again, some of us will be faced with that decision. Even right now as the word is being preached, am I going to squelch it? Am I going to throw a cover over it? I mean, the light is shining whether you want it to or not. The light is going forth. Now you have to determine whether or not I'm going to let that light shine in my heart. Am I going to follow the direction of the word? Am I going to listen to the gospel and the voice of Jesus Christ? Or am I going to stuff my ears, cover the light, and pretend that nothing ever happened this morning? So we are first held accountable for what we do with God's word. Then in verse 17, he says, Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. So not only are we going to be held accountable for the scriptures for what we do with it, but we are accountable for everything it reveals about us. And guess what? The word, according to this, reveals everything. It reveals everything. It's a mirror. That when we look into it, we not only see the perfect, holy son of God, but we see the unperfect, unholy sinner. So he says in verse 18, take care then how you hear. 
In other words, you better pay attention to the light. You better make sure your heart is receptive to the seed of God's Word because one day it will come under the microscopic light of God's Word. And here's what he says about that. Verse 18, to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. The more we truly hear God's word, that is, the more we believe it, the more we obey it, the more we will receive now and forever. In other words, the way to grow is to continue knowing, learning, and obeying God's word. But the more we ignore and reject God's word, the more we will lose. We will lose both our present receptiveness and any future hope of redemption. In fact, he ends it with an exclamation point. Even what you think you have will be taken away. That is, some think they are okay. They're fine. They're perfectly okay living their lives with the soil that they have. Regardless of what it is, apathetic, shallow, emotional, crowded. But if you don't take care to hear the word of God by obeying it and acting upon it, then everything that you think you are spiritually will be revealed to you on the last day as nothing more than hypocritical fraudulency. So even what you think you have this morning will be taken away unless unless you are taking care how you hear. And that's what brings me to the third and final point, which is the point of everything Jesus has just said. All right, so we have the parable. The parable, hearing the word is a matter of the heart. The principle, you're going to be held accountable for how you hear the word. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you're not obeying, you're not hearing. If you go to the grocery store and you can't remember what it was you were told to pick up, you weren't listening. If mom comes walking by the bedroom two hours later and the clothes and toys are still there, you weren't listening. So if you're not obeying, you're not hearing. You're not hearing. Take care how you hear. And if you're not hearing, you're not in the family. You're not in the family. It's an interesting scene, verses 19 through 21. While Jesus is doing ministry, his mother and his siblings come looking for him. When Jesus was told that his family was outside wanting to see him, he responded in verse 21, No, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So, so imagine the scene. I don't know who it was. Somebody says, hey, uh, Jesus, your mom, Mary, and your little brothers, James, and they're, they're all outside. They like to talk to you. And his response is not, oh, great, bring them on in. And his response is, you're my family. You're my family. Now, Jesus is not being rude about his family here. The other gospel records, specifically Mark, do reveal that at this time, his family were not quite in sync with he and his ministry. In fact, many of them thought he was out of his mind. But even in his response, he's not being harsh. He's not being dismissive. He's stating a point of fact 
to help the others understand the spiritual dynamic of having a relationship with him. That when we come to Christ in true faith, our identity changes. We become his family. Now, that has many implications that can't be exhausted this morning. Entering into the family of God changes our loyalties. Entering into the family of God changes our relationship with other believers. But we don't want to miss the main point. The main point that Luke is stressing here is that from this interaction with Jesus and his disciples, he is trying to show us how it is that we know we're in the family. How do we know that we are children of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus? Well, birthmarks, family traits, just like we have them. These birthmarks are key resemblances of our earthly bloodlines. Three of my four children have red hair and freckles. I think it's pretty obvious who they came from, who they belong to. We could talk about their emotional makeup, their mental makeup, and their likes and their dislikes. These are key traits, birthmarks. We've even noticed here recently, just in our children's teeth, that they certainly came from me and their mother. It's natural, right? Well, there are also spiritual birthmarks, spiritual characteristics. How do I know I belong to the Father? How do I know Jesus is my brother? How do I know I'm in the family of God? Because Jesus said in verse 21, look at it, my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. They hear it and they obey it. They hear it and they act upon it. They hear it and they follow it. They hear it and they do it. And this is what it means to truly hear his word. Those who truly hear obey his word. They act upon what they hear. And so, obedience to God's word is the distinction that separates Jesus' true family from those who are not truly his. And somewhere down the lawn, we had somebody convince us that all we had to do is pray this little prayer sign this piece of paper, go through this particular church strategy, and we're in the family. But Jesus says, I don't care what prayer you played, what document you signed, what catechism you went through, what baptism you've had, how many churches you've been a part of. If you're not obeying what you've heard, you're not in the family. You're not. It is the undeniable distinction that separates those who are his from those who are not. Someone might look at my children and say, you are your daddy's child. Well, obedience. Obedience to what we hear from Jesus is what should call others to say, you are God's child. That's the point. How am I supposed to hear? You're not hearing if you're not obeying. 
And if you're not obeying, you're not hearing. And if you're not hearing, you're not in the family. And one day, you will stand before God on the last day and you will be held accountable for what you've heard. So you got to go to battle every time the word is opened. You got to make sure the soil is ready for growth. The heart is receptive and obedient, focused and fixed on Jesus. I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, how's your hearing? I ask you one more time, how's your hearing? Because it has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. And it reveals today what is ahead for you on judgment day. So my friends, I echo what Jesus said in verse 18. Please take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. Listen, please, carefully. Because that is the foundation of our eternity. Let's stand together for prayer.